Welcome to the Frequency 49 show. I'm Paul MacDonald alongside Kev Nalen and Deepak Gohill. Hello, guys. Hello. Hi, everyone. Coming up a little later in the show, we have got a special guest on an interview. Uh, but first, we are going to review the game from this weekend. The 49ers headed east to take on the Miami Dolphins. The game ended up 31-24, as if you didn't already know. Um, we're going to take a look at that game, give it a quick breakdown. We're not going to spend a huge amount of time on it because we have got that interview to get to. But we're, we're going to see what everyone's thoughts are. Deepak, let's go with you first. We saw a game where... The 49ers fell behind, and then they brought it all the way back, and it, it was a roller coaster, basically, that game, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was fun to watch, and I think we're also seeing the team incrementally making tiny improvements week on week to the point where, you know, if we'd been a little bit more savvy with clock management, we could well have won, won the game. It's been a long, long time before I've wanted to throw something at the TV, but when it all went pear-shaped on the two-yard line with two seconds left, my phone nearly left my hand at great velocity. Kev, what did you think of the game overall and how it finished in the end? The finish kind of took me back four years to a very similar spot finishing the game in the Super Bowl. So it's the same kind of that coming up short at that yeah, like yeah. two-yard line. But... Outside of that, there were a couple of defensive plays where I just sat there and went, oh my God, what on earth are these people doing? And they yeah. both went for touchdowns. So the one was Bethea. Awesome. Yeah, sorry. The one that was Bethea when he looked like he was trying to dive in front and intercept the ball. No need to do that. Just nail the player on the sideline. Instead, he ran in front of him. The ball went past and he was gone. And then Jimmy Ward did a... wasn't even a half-hearted attempt, about a quarter of an attempt tackle someone as they went past him and they just jogged into the end zone as well. Two touchdowns mm. on things that could so easily have been decent tackles. We had the situation again where... Penalties at the wrong time really cost us. Uh, Trent Brown had a couple of penalties on him that were that were quite noticeable. One was uh, a face mask, which gave us a 15-yard penalty at the worst possible time. I might add that we never actually got a review of that penalty, so nobody, as far as I know, saw Trent Brown pull on a face mask. And then there was a holding penalty as well, which knocked us back. I think we were first and 10 inside the 10 with the chance of um, levelling the game. It took us back to first and 20, I think. Um, so they, they were a couple of issue penalties that we had again. There was some uh, there was some positives again from the offence, weren't there? Kaepernick had a relatively decent game. Um, Vance McDonald had uh, a decent game as well. One thing I want to ask you both, uh, Gareth Selleck, the touchdown that he scored... Does that forgive his, frankly, diabolical attempt at trying to catch the ball across the middle of the field earlier on in the game? Um, yeah, you know, it does, because they're, they're different plays and you can't put them all under one context. But never let it be forget that we've conceded, what, 90-odd points from turnovers? <laughs> That's the mm. first in the league. Yeah. And that, that hurts us as well. You know, that, that hurts us uh, a lot. I, I don't think you can sort of 
you know, Selig, yes, he, he did, he messed up badly, really badly, but you, you can't sort of, you've got to look at it in context from play to play. Yes, it was his fault, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm saying you can't call players out, but yes, he, he shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, you know, we're, we are getting better and Kaepernick, best game in, what, three years? So, yeah. and next week, Chicago, winnable, if we play mm. like this and, and take <laughs> improvements forward with us. Well, well, let's face it, as this game went on, there were a number of different points where this game was winnable. Um not least the you know the very final drive where it went down to the two yard line. We were talking on the game day thread as the game was going. The 49ers in a number of games this season have given us hope, haven't they? And then it all gets dashed and just turns to complete despair. Do you think we're ever going to get over that hump? You, you say uh, the Bears next week. Is that really going to be the game, or is it just going to be more of the same? More heartache, more roller coaster football. Well, if the Bears drop as many easy catches as they did last night, then yes, we can quite easily win that. They dropped four bread and butter catches in the end zone last night. If they want, if they want to do the same again this week, I'll quite happily take that. <laughs> yeah, as long as we don't turn the ball over and make those obvious mistakes, then there's no reason why we shouldn't give them a, a damn good game you know and and here's the thing we've reached the stage now where we don't care how we win we don't care how ugly that win is as long as we win yeah, you know, yeah. we just want we just want one win you know yeah. well as many as possible but one to start off with <laughs> we, yeah. we've lost 10 straight you know and that right there is the elephant in the room that yeah. we need to talk about I was going to start this show off with a complete rant and call out certain people, but I thought better of it. Um, Looking to the positives, um, some of the stats, Kaepernick was 29 of 46 for 296 yards and three touchdowns. He also ran 113 yards on 10 carries. His longest was 30 yards. That 113 yards rushing is the highest by any QB this season, and it's the second highest regular season career total. Uh, Vance McDonald had 14 catches for 240 yards and two TDs in his last four games and Carlos Hyde had his first receiving TD as well. So there's there's little things there. Oh, one other um, one other stat that is a positive for us. Jay was held to just 45 yards on 18 carries. So uh, the defence certainly had his number. Yeah, but unfortunately we let Tannehill run for more than that. And Tannehill's about as well, yeah. as I am. <laughs> and also, if you look at those receptions, were all by tight ends and running backs. You know, I think Torrey Smith caught one, but you know, Kaepernick's t- favorite target seemed to be his tight ends. And I think we also need to give props to Curly for that catch, which <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, and, and I think it highlights just how little I understand of the NFL and what can be reviewed and what can't because. I'm thinking we have no timeout, so we can't challenge it. And before you know it, the play's been reviewed. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, how can that be reviewed? You know, what's the rules on that? Well, I have no idea. In the last two minutes, uh, it's a booth review. So um, the booth have to do any reviews in the last two minutes, and they can put it in whether we've got a timeout or not. Uh, Mm. If we don't have a timeout, then they take 
a certain amount of time off the clock if the the booth review fails. So what's the criteria for having that review, Kev? On it's on anything it's on any play that's reviewable. So for that okay. also like a touchdown or a turnover. Yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, so whether it's a catch, whether it's inbounds, all those kind of things that you would normally have a review on or a coach's challenge on, they do it as a booth review as opposed to a coach's challenge in the last two minutes. I noticed um, that there was two specific plays. Um, the Jeremy Curley one was one of them where it was initially ruled um, an incomplete pass. There was also one for the Miami Dolphins that was ruled a catch. I do believe they were on the same sideline and it's questionable what that referee was thinking because he had clear sight of the play on both occasions and on both occasions ruled it wrong. Well, there were, two, there were two that Miami got called back because they got a touchdown call back in the back of the end zone that they originally called yeah. as a touchdown and it got overruled on review. And then they had another 30-yard right, yeah. one down the sideline where he got his arm down. I forgot about the touchdown one, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, they had three plays in the game. Two that they called for Miami that got overturned because they weren't. And one for us that didn't get called but got overturned and was. Maybe that referee needs to go to spec savers. <laughs> um Total first downs for the 49ers was 25. Third down efficiency was 7 of 14. Fourth down efficiency, 2 of 2. And red zone efficiency, 3 of 5. Overall, not not pretty bad stats for the 49ers. It was a game where, as we've said, it was it was roller coaster, but they did compete. Um, of course, our first third quarter touchdown of the season. We can't let the whole show go without mentioning that as well. Um, so, yeah, we have now put that one to bed and scored a third-quarter touchdown. It was looking like we were going to go the whole season at one point, didn't it? It did, but we we managed it. And that's part <laughs> of the thing. We now need to put a game together where we play all four quarters, can score in all four quarters, and yep. defend in all four quarters, have better clock management... Don't give silly penalties away and don't give turnovers. If you can do all of that in the same game, then we can win. Those are the basic things that a coach should be drilling into his players' heads. You know, um, and I agree with you, Kev. I think it's the turnovers that are killing us. They certainly killed us yesterday, but the clock management in particular was horrific. We could have gone into the second half with a score. You know, it was a perfect scenario for a two-minute drill. And what do we do on third and twelve? We we barely make the line of scrimmage. Two you know, that's dumbbell. not an ambitious. Yeah, yeah that's not a, a play that's going to convert you on third third and twelve. You know. Well, that that was an issue at the end of both halves, wasn't it? Um, at at the end of the game, again, time was just running off the clock. We could have given ourselves much more time in the red zone, in in the run up to that possible TD, um, but. There was so much time wasted. We we were seeing 30 seconds wasted on the clock, just getting up to the line of scrimmage. There was no hustle in that team, in the in the offense, for quite a large portion of the game. And I can understand it when you've got 10 minutes left in the first quarter. But when you're down inside the two minutes, 
you're looking to score just to stay in the game. And they're letting 20, 30 seconds run off the clock just to get to the line of scrimmage. That needs to be sorted out. Is that on the coach or is that on the players? Is it on the quarterback? Is it on the centre? It's on the quarterback because he's got to get the team to the line of scrimmage. They've got to know what the play is going to be. He's got to know whether he's going to spike the ball to stop the clock. It's uh, This is where leadership comes into it, you know. I mean... This is the guy who dictates when the ball is going to be snapped. And I, I think clock management is something that we've always said has never, ever been one of Colin Kaepernick's skill sets. And yeah. it, it probably never will be. That doesn't mean he can't be great at other elements of his game. But clock management is, is a crucial part of being uh, an elite top-level QB, which well, he isn't, though. So, But, yeah, that's the thing that frustrated me the most was was just we were just burning seconds as if they were meaningless just trying to get the ball to the line of scrimmage you know i i just don't understand how it took so long for him to do that i just don't get it yeah yeah and it's the amount of times it happens that we get delay of game penalties or we have to call a timeout like five minutes into the first quarter Going into the second half, that was a perfect opportunity for us to, to do a two-minute drill. You know, we had two timeouts and the two-minute warning. And we did not treat it as an opportunity to even have, like, make it into a real-life sort of training scenario, if you will, where, you know, we could quite easily have, have put something on the board, even if it was a field goal. But it was just absolutely no urgency. There was no... It was like... They don't know what a two-minute drill is, and it's crucial to be able to execute one of those with time running out, you know, and points on the board to be had. And, you know, whilst we say we lost the game because we couldn't quite get it in the end zone, what if we'd got it in the end zone when we had an opportunity to run a good two-minute drill going into the second half? You know, I think that's... We've got to be culpable of that too because we could have had a scoring drive. We should have had a, a scoring drive, but... I don't know, call me out for saying this, but nobody could be asked. Nobody could be bothered to, to run a two-minute drill. That's what it looked yeah. like to me. Yeah. Let's bring in our guest for uh, this week's interview then. Our guest on the show today is a former British basketball coach, um, the most successful coach in UK basketball history with 30 titles won. He won eight Coach of the Year awards in a 13-year span and also won more than 300 games before changing tack and becoming the host of NFL Sunday on Sky Sports. Welcome to the show, Kevin Cadle. Kevin, we know originally um, you were all about basketball in this country um, as a basketball coach. How did you get involved with British basketball? Um, I was an assistant coach back in uh, in America, in Texas, at a university in Texas, uh, Angelo State University. And um, I just got tired of being this head assistant coach. I wanted to be a head coach. I was 28 years of age, and uh, I started trying to apply for jobs. And every one of them said, great references, great recommendation. You need more experience. So a buddy of mine was playing over here, a guy who years ago did a food pass for advert named Bobby Kenza. He was playing over here, and his team just so happened to have fired their coach. They needed a coach. They called me up. Um, it was a match made in heaven because I wanted to be a head coach, and uh, they needed they needed one, but the plan was only to come for a year or two. And 33 years later, here I still be. 
<laughs> That's fantastic. When you were coach for England, was Carl Brown one of your players at that time? Uh, yeah, Carl played for me for uh, 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 fact, Carl played most of the time. He was the the most consistent of the uh, of the uh, of the players. Because some guys would not make it for one reason or another, but uh, but Carl always seemed to uh, you know to be there to be a pain in my side. But he was always there. <laughs> you know, I was, was going to ask you about the the pain bit. So originally, both Deepak and myself were from Leicester, but I I actually knew Carl. In the early nineties, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. And his, and his love of um, clubbing and generally being a bit of a pain in the backside. <laughs> I just wondered how it was having to coach him. Um, you know, sometimes it was a challenge, but you know, I, I met Carl because I took a job in Leicester for uh, probably about three or four days at one time to coach the. Uh, um, it would have been called Walker's Crisp at that time. And um, so I, I was with, you know, I remember, you know, Carl as a youngster coming through and, and saw him take off and go to college and just saw that maturation. I don't know if it was good or bad when he went to the States to go to the college. Um, but then I uh, had a chance to coach him. And, you know, some days it was a challenge. You know, I mean, I mean we're great friends now. But, you know, when it was, when it was time to coach him, it was uh, many days it was a challenge. Um, yeah, Kevin, you sort of preempted what I was going to ask you. Um, big Hoops fan here in Leicester. And I think when Channel 4 started off, it, it televised a lot of basketball, and especially British basketball, which became very, very popular. And Leicester was one of those cities that embraced basketball. And we were very, very excited when we learned that you might be coming to coach us. And then she sort of didn't. What happened there? Because we were so disappointed. We were really looking uh, forward well to... Yeah, 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 yeah. The people I was dealing with, I wasn't really comfortable with them, and uh, so I just decided, well, you know, I, I can just go back to uh, go back to Scotland and just deal with the people that I was that I was much more comfortable with. So it just wasn't, you know, um, a cohesive situation for me at that time. Um, the opportunity presented itself for me to go back to Scotland, so um, you know, I knew, you know, it was the devil I knew back there. So I just decided to. Uh, you know, to, to head on back to Scotland. I mean, that's when they had those, you know, very talented team coming in with uh, Gene Waldron and Tom Brown and uh, and uh, Clyde Vaughn. Hey, Clyde hadn't arrived yet uh, while I was uh, while I was there coaching. But uh, you know, you know, they had the remnants of a, a very talented team, but it just didn't uh, it just didn't fit for me at that time. Yeah, Clyde Clyde Vaughn, Gene Waldron, all these blasts from the past. But you know, we had occasion when uh, Livingston and Falkirk would both come to Leicester and uh, very, very entertaining teams to watch. And and I suppose where I really want to go with this is that, you know, whilst Channel 4 really did promote a lot for British basketball, it didn't take off quite the same way as the NFL has <clears throat> because they roughly televised the two sports at the same time. And now all of a sudden the NFL is colossal in the UK. I mean, basketball is too, but I would would you agree that the, the rate of growth of the two two sports is, is quite different, though? You know what? Uh, you know, I think, you know, the one thing is, is that the one you look at the basketball, you know, British basketball versus NFL, you're talking about two sports that are at a completely different level of, yes. uh, of participation and, and life as far as skills go. But then also you're talking about that the, the, the vehicle that the NFL has behind it to promote their game. You know, they do a tremendous job of promoting – 
and constantly throwing things at you NFL-wise. And, you know, what thing is with British basketball, you know, they're fighting just to get into the newspapers and everything else. So, you know, you don't hear a lot about it. So if you don't hear a lot about it, you kind of lose sight of it. And I think that's been the, you know, the number one problem is that they haven't had that, um, that vehicle behind it, that promotional vehicle that they need to get it, keep it out there, you know, in the forefront uh, of, you know, in the public's eye. And I think that's the big difference between that and the NFL. Yes, and also we've had the NBA play regular season games here in the UK and other international locations. So they've always been, to me, as the, the league that's been at the forefront of international exposure, so to speak. Yeah, it is. I mean, but, you know, everybody, you know, I mean, you know, the NBA, everybody, you know, that's what they, uh, you know, when they're growing up, that's what they aspire to be. You know, can I have a chance to play in that league? You know, that's, you know, that's the thing. And so, you know, even though, you know, 99.9% of people don't make it, um, you know, they still have their eyes on that. But also the NBA, just like the NFL, does a tremendous job of promoting their product and advertising their product with all the different shows that they give you and, all the shows are more based on razzmatazz. Because when you watch the NBA, if you watch a highlight show, 95% of the shots you're going to see are going to be some kind of dunk. You know, yeah. so, um, yeah. And that, I mean, it, it, it's, so, it, it's so wild how repetition it, it is, but that's what the people want, and that's what their mentality says. Give me more, give me more, and that's what the NBA gives them. Kevin, as a coach... Was there any particular coach that you tried to emulate that you looked up to, or were you more about creating your own style of coaching? You know, I, um, um, as a youngster, um, I'm talking about as, you know, like 10, 11, 12 years old, they only had one game a week that used to come on on television in the, uh, in the United States on a Saturday, the ECAC game of the week, and then the, they, they'd have one NBA game a week in January after the NFL season started. That's how much basketball we yeah. get. But during those games, whenever they would have a timeout, I would find myself trying to be the coach. Okay, this is what I would do next. Sometimes I would get it right, and but 95% of the time I got it wrong, but I was so happy when I would come up with something. And then I would just start watching, you know, the different coaches and their coaching styles, um, reading books, you know, with John Wooden on how he dealt with players, John Thompson, how he dealt with players, uh, Nolan Richardson. So, um, you know, so me, in this case, I'm just looking at guys and seeing how they uh, dealt with players, how they connected, you know, their styles of, uh, of coaching. Um, but usually coaches that won. I like to watch, you know, with most people do, I like to watch coaches that had success and then we'll try to yeah. uh, pick up just different things and different ideas from them. Was... Um, was basketball your preferred sport going through school and through college, or did you play football as well? Were, were you a multi a multi sported no, player? No, I um, I only played football when I was probably 12, 13, 14 years old. That was weight limit football because I was too skinny back then, and people were not going to make a reputation off of my body. So I played. So I got, <laughs> into, I got into basketball. It was just plus also I could play basketball, work on basketball by myself. I didn't need to have other people to work with me and I just, it just somehow I just caught the basketball bugs but you know as far as the sports that I love to watch football has been the number one sport that I prefer to watch on television but I grew up as you know a basketball player because the guys in my neighborhood we all got the basketball bug and um, you know we just you know stayed with it me more so than the rest of them but the uh, you know the basketball bug hit and, and when that was the thing that, that was the way I happened to go yeah so we know you're a Bills fan 
so who were your favourite players as you um, grew up and moved through? Well, I, I live, I grew up one block away from where the Bills played. So I used to cut through my friend's yard and, you know, I was right at one Memorial Stadium. So I used to always go there to get the autographs and, you know, I mean, I go back from the way, back from the Bills when they had Albert Dubinion, Cookie Gilchrist, Jack Kemp, you know, when they had those guys and they were able to win the championships in 64 and 65 in the, uh, you know, in the AFL. But but probably one of my favorite players of all was a guy who was a backup quarterback, which usually always people always love the backup, which was Daryl LaMonica. And then he goes to the Oakland Raiders and they get to the Super Bowl, even though they lose the Green Bay Packers, you know, in the Super Bowl. But he was able to get them to the Super Bowl. And I was like, you know, you know, so many people in Buffalo always wanted LaMonica over Kemp. So I go back way back. But then O.J. Simpson arrived in town. And um, I, I used to go get his autograph every Sunday. And I remember one, day, one Sunday he says to me, kid, you come every Sunday, you get my autograph. What do you do with the autograph? I'm like, I'll throw them away. What else you do with them? You know, so back then, they were, yeah, they weren't, they weren't selling autographs or anything. You know, just put them on a piece of paper. If I found it, fine. If I lost it, fine, too. I'm coming back. I'll see you next week. So, you know, so those were, you know, the days when, when the Bills were at War Memorial Stadium. That's when I was in, you know, in Buffalo and in that area. So I just remember those, you know, those those were my connection to the Buffalo Bills, even though I still, you know, know the guys from, you know, from the other teams from when they moved to Rich Stadium and everything else. But, you know, my my initial connection was growing up, you know, from, you know, from four years old to three years old, you know, being next to that stadium over there at the, uh, at the Buffalo Bills. Kevin, can I just quickly follow that up? Um, yeah. Do you have any interest then or do you follow the, the college college football in any way, shape or form? I mean, I follow Penn State because I went to Penn State, so I follow my, you know, my university, and I, I, I watch it vaguely. You know, nothing. Um, you know, I got an idea about college football. You know what's going on, but uh, you know, I, I'm not a, you know, a, a serious tune. And I mean, I, I, I'll sit down and watch it on Saturdays, and you know, while I'm sitting there, when I used to do the NFL, I'd sit there and do my studying for the NFL, but also watch college football. You know, while yeah. I, I would sit up there and do that. So. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I still I do watch college football. I think I have enough knowledge about it. Can we talk about um, your work with Sky Sports um, with the NFL Sunday show for a minute? Sure. Uh-huh. First of all, how demanding was it to be live in a studio for six hours and maybe more sometimes? You know, it wasn't um, demanding at all because I was very fortunate to have good people that were always sitting next to me. So good people, interesting right. people, fun people that they weren't fun that I would make fun, you know, whatever they would say. So we always had, you know, good people. And, and, and you know, I really enjoyed it, the, 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 you know, up until probably the last three or four years. So we used to have so, a, such a variety of guests coming in. And I really enjoyed yeah. that because, you know, each week you just didn't know, you know, you might have a guy who was a linebacker or Jay Schrader might come in as a quarterback or the guy might have been a, alignment or you know so you have so many different people coming in with that playing so many different positions and their personalities were different um so for me i i, I really enjoyed enjoyed it more during that stage but also we always had good people that uh you know that came in that were you know very uh, complimentary to the show um and and i didn't just come in just to steal but came in to uh, to add to the show on most occasions any favorite guests any there, there's worst guests um, for me, I mean, my favorite guest, I, you know, I, I enjoy Cecil Martin because I could always have a laugh with Cecil, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, Cecil was, you know, and I, and I think the thing would happen with Cecil when he first arrived there, he had that, that former 
professional sportsman mentality that just because I was a professional sportsman, that means I know it. And I think he found out that once he got there, he really didn't know it, that he had to go do his research and do more concentration and do more studying um, right. than what he, what he did. And I think once he started getting that, um, you know, that he became so much, you know, so much better at it. But, you know, I enjoyed the personality of, of, uh, of Cease. I, you know, that's the guy that I always seem to, uh, to get with. I, you know, I thought the, um, um, I mean, you know, as far as guests goes, who really didn't really handle it, you know, that well, it was probably Huggy Bear. And it was kind of unfair for him because he, he, I mean, he called it, he wanted to be on the show. He was going to play in, in London. And one of the thing is, when, when you talked about the Oakland Raiders and his son was the running back for the Raiders, when you talk about the Oakland Raiders and or his son, then he could talk and he could elaborate. But if you talk about any other thing concerning football, then you basically got nothing out of him. So, um, so we, you know, once we finally figured that out, that if we talked to him, it has to be Oakland Raiders and or his son. Um, you know, it was probably you know two thirds of the way through the show that we finally figured that one out. So um, I would say, you know, that was just that he wasn't really. Um, you know, ready for it to do what we have to do. You know, if it was just to be the Oakland game, then fine. But if we yeah. had to do something else, then it was a more a little bit of a stretch point. How biased are yourself and the other presenters off screen? So we know that Nick Hawling's famously a Steelers fan. Did anyone get carried away in the studio off air? The only one who ever used to get carried away on the studio would be Nick. That would be it. You know, so, I mean, Nick would be jumping up, hollering and screaming like a hooligan, in, you know, in the studio when he was off screen. And then he would come back and he would just be demure and calm like nothing was going on, you know. But it would have to be, it would have to be, uh, you know, Nick. He's the only one that really, uh, you know, I mean, Cecil, when he came in, if the Eagles was playing, you know, he'd get, he'd get a little excited. But I think that, but, but, you know, everyone else is basically pretty calm as far as, as far as watching their teams. Is there anybody that you didn't have on the show that you wished you'd had the chance to bring into the studio any former players or former coaches um yeah, i think we got what we got because you can always say i mean there's millions of other people out there who um who you you know would have liked to have had a conversation with i mean i've had the opportunity it was great to be able to go out and interview some people i mean a guy who who i really enjoyed interviewing jerry jones um you know, I went to interview Jerry and the guy, whoever his publicist or whoever the guy was, said, you know, you have seven minutes with him. And next thing you know, it's like 35 minutes later, and I said to Jerry, <laughs> I go, Jerry, man, don't you have something to do? So we having a good time, aren't we? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's cool with me. You can sit here all day. So, uh, you know, so it's kind of interesting, um, you know, having uh, the opportunity to, uh, you know, to uh, to speak with him and just talk about Jerry's world and, you know, Jerry's stadium that he built down there and everything else. So, um, um, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I, you know. So I think that you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, if we didn't sit down with people as far as being in the studio, we had the opportunity to go out and and interview, uh, you know, the various guys. So I think I'm, you know, pretty satisfied with what the, uh, you know, either guys I was able to sit down with or guys that I, I went out and had the chance to interview. With the NFL anchoring itself very, very well here in the UK. Um, do you think that there could be a franchise, or do you think that the way the international series is being played out in its current guise is um, is good enough? Uh, basically, what do you think the long-term plans for the National Football League are here in the UK? I think the long-term plan is to put a team over here. I mean, it's new money. You know that. You know that's. that's you know the NFL is. You got to look at it from their point is. You know, they're not going to say it, but what the deal is, you know, there's, so, there's only so much money that they can still garner in America and keep it going. 
you know, where's the new money got going to come from? So they got to start branching out, and the new money is in the European market. So, you know, <laughs> London is the, you know, the European market for the, uh, for the NFL. So, you know, I think that eventually, you know, something is going to happen. You know, there's so many little things they have to, you know, get ironed out of, you know, as far as, you know, you know the finances and all that. You know, that always goes with that. You know, where are the players going to stay? Where are they going to live? Where's where the team going to be located? Is it going to be located in London? You know, what about their families? You know, a lot of players have families and their kids come and go to school in those areas or whatever. So, you know, so many things have to be ironed out. I mean, London, the cost of living in London is, is far superior than it is in any other city in the National Football League. So how do they deal with that from a salary cap standpoint? So there's so many things that have to be, uh, you know, that they're going to have to iron out. But I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to get there because, you know, this is a market where there is plenty of money from London and Europe to be gained by the NFL. Do you think um, the expansion will be simultaneous, um, i.e. London, the UK, and possibly a team in maybe, say, France or Germany or perhaps Spain or Italy as well to, to balance out I, the, lay, the geography? Well, I would say I doubt it right now. You know, maybe, maybe they move a team from the NFL. Um, I, I doubt that they, you know, I mean, we haven't seen a game in Germany. We haven't seen a game in France or Spain. So I, I can't see them just taking a team and just putting it in that market. You know, here, this is an experiment to see what, what they can do, you know, as far as, you know, yeah, I mean, how many years have they been going up with this NFL series, you know, which is nine or ten years now. So, you know, so they've, you know, and that's been a process of going from one to one to two to let's try three, you know. So to say, to put it in somebody else's country without even, you know, trying to market out, I don't think the NFL would do that. Over the time that you've um, you've hosted NFL Sunday and then the International Series games as well, yep. in your eyes, how much have you seen the growth in the NFL in the UK and the understanding of the sport and acceptance of the sport as well? You know, we've seen a tremendous growth. You know, one, because of um, the, uh, the NFL used to play that game. You know, uh, the exhibition game where they, you know, they promote Joe Montana, John, you know, Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, blah, blah. And those guys come over when they play two or three plays, and finally the, the crowd caught on, like, hold up. No, no, we've been sold, uh, you know, a bunch of goods here that are no good. So, you know, once they change, you know, change it to real football, which is has a real meaning to it, and at the end of the game, it's a winner and a loser that's going to have some meaning to it. That's what basically took it off right there. And, you know, you've seen the people just getting more and more knowledgeable about it. I remember the first game when the team took a kneel. Everybody took a knee at the end. Everybody started, started booing, but that's what they do in the NFL. You know, is that's what they do if the game is over with. You know, let's, let's run this out that way. So they were still looking for some head clanging in the back. So I think the people, you know, have gotten more and more knowledgeable, you know, thanks to, you know, Sky Sports, thanks to Channel 4 at BBC. All of us have contributed, not just one, you know, it's the part of us that have contributed, you know, for the good of the game to try to uh, to get get there, as much information out to the to the people as possible. And I think it's probably helped a lot with, you know, you know, Twitter coming out, Facebook coming out, where you could ask the questions. You know, the uh, the uh, uh, podcast coming out. So so many things have um, also helped to enrich the game as well. Just between us guys now, pretend there's nobody listening. Um, 
obviously in the UK we're still kind of restricted as to get as to the games that we can watch live. Yep. Um, both on um, on Sky Sports and on Channel Four, and we've got Game Pass as well. How how far away do you think we are from having some some sort of game day live package or an equivalent of the Sunday ticket package that they that they have over in the states where the the British viewer can watch any one of the games on a on a on a Sunday. Um, I would assume I don't really. I mean, from, from not being at home sitting watching games, um, you know, I would. I always thought that it was possible if you happen to buy the NFL ticket that you could watch any game except the ones that were being played in Britain. That's what I. Uh, that's what I always thought that it was. That's what I always thought that was on on offer was that the only ones that weren't shown on the NFL ticket were the ones that happened to be played in in Britain. So. I don't really know um, what the workings of this of that NFL ticket are. There, so I, that that was my just assumption over all all the all the years. Right. Okay. Uh, Kev, do you want to uh, broach the subject of the Forty ers Yeah, I can do. So this season's been a little bit of a car crash for us. Um, what steps would you take to fix the Forty ers if you were general manager? Um, you know, I guess it was uh, more than just this season. You know, one last year when Powerball left, that was part of it. But then you had a mass defection of talented players who retired, who left, or who did whatever. You know, so basically the team was gutted. The the, the, the main um, stardom of the team was gutted last season. And so it was a rebuild, you know. so And, and, and it's a rebuild where – you know, teams that are smart are the ones who are accumulating draft choices. Um, but it's so interesting about American sports that um, you can have as many draft choices as you want, but there's probably only four or five really quality general managers in all of American sports who know how to use the draft choices, who know how to rate the talent. It comes to a team like New England, how do they manage to stay where they're at for year after year after year after year, and you get a team like Cleveland, who has been so bad, who gets the top draft picks every year, but don't come up with top draft pick type talent that they should be for where they're placed. So, um, but I have to say that's the route you have to go because I don't think the free agent route um, really works for you know for for the mass of players. Um, you, know, you get so many guys that come in and go like, wow, they were really good with that team, but. You know, their production seems to drop in so many areas from offense, defense, you know, linemen, running backs, quarterbacks. So, for me, it would be a case of building through the draft. I think that's the only way that you can build a team successfully and pick up one or two free agents per year to add to, you know, to the mix. But I'd also say would get me a, a serious coach, which is, you know, you know, that's easier said than done. But, you know, you get you a coach who, uh, who sets the boundaries you know, like the Belichick, his boundaries are set. He has guys coming in, they know that you come and play for this team. I don't care what you do did before, this is what you have to do now. You know, so coaches who set the boundaries for, for players as far as discipline, as far as what they want, um, instead of looking, instead of bringing players in and, and, and making it seem like the players are doing them a favor by joining their team. The 49ers, um, the, the, the roster this year is said to be stronger than it was last year with the players that were brought in, yep. discounting all the injuries that we've had. But the 49ers also had one of the hardest schedules in the NFL this season. Is it simply a case that 
the strength of schedule has been too strong for the players or has 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 there been something with the Chip Kelly experiment that simply hasn't worked in San Francisco? Combination of both. The San Francisco 49ers talent is not that good. You know, that's the first thing. And, and I know when, when I was getting ready to uh, to stop my first head coaching thing, and I was talking to this guy named Barry Davis. From, he was assistant coach at Texas A&M. And I started telling him about I'm going to use this offense and I'm going to use this defense. And he said, whoa, hold your horses there. He said, the first thing is you got to go choose some players. You see the offense you're talking about, that defense you're talking about, if you don't have no players, it's not going to work. As a matter of fact, he goes, mm. if you have players, you don't even need an offense or defense. Just send them out there and let them go play. You know, and right now, yeah. you know, San Francisco does not have players. They do not have the talent level that they need to have to be able to play weekend and week out in the National Football League. And then you bring in Chip, and Chip is a one-trick pony. It's my way, my way, my way, and there's no versatility in Chip's game. So, you know, so you got a combination of, you know, when they say two negatives equal a positive, only in science, not in anything else. So you got two negatives working there. You lack of talent, and you got a coach that really, his mentality is not about bending, but staying the same. Um, firstly, yes, uh, I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct with, with your analysis about the lack of talent on the <laughs> roster and how the 49ers address that moving forward. Um, my next question really, Kevin, is, um, you know, we've seen Tom Brady, who is in Canton in name only, you know, he, he's going to be there. Do you see any players that are currently playing and active in the NFL right now that would be... Um, heading towards Canton and the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, after they retire? Um, you know, there was always a talk about Andrew Luck, but I don't even know if Andrew Luck is going to make it in the next two or three years. He, his body might be so broke up from, you know, the offensive line that they continue to, uh, you know, to give him. Um, you know, I like the way, you know, that Russell Wilson plays. He gets it done, He, he, he you know. I think Cam Newton is, 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 is coming around looking at, you know, can Carr, can he continue his ascension, you know, with the Oakland Raiders. When you look at the Oakland Raiders, you go there, you know, the decent running back, backfield with uh, Murray back there. But, you know, but you got Crabtree and Cooper over there, and, you know, the tight end position is getting better with their team. So, you know, you look at them, you know, he has the, he has the weapons around him to continue to go to that next level. Let me see if there's any older. I, I think I think it's the you know the mid the mid quarterbacks as far as years of five on down who are probably the better prospects than you have the guys from like five on uh, on up right now with the in, in the quarterbacks with National Football League for that, for that potential to be there. So I think from that point, you know, the future of the National Football League is in pretty good hands because I think the quarterbacking is uh, you know from. Um, you know, from five years on down, it's better than it is from, you know, from six years to ten right now. Yeah. I've got a question about the process you had to go through to write your book. How did you actually come about to pull everything together into kind of a coherent order to be able to write a book? Because I've done various bits where I've kind of written weekly email um, newsletters done little bits of odd pieces of fiction stuff. But oh, I always found it, there's so many different things coming from different directions. How do you order your thoughts enough to actually do a whole coherent book? 
Well, the first thing was, it was that the guy who wrote the book, um, Paul New, came to me one day and said, Kev, I'd like to write a book on you. And so I said to him, you know what? I've already started writing it, but I just didn't know. So from the time I had arrived up until maybe four or five years ago, I used to constantly write stuff down. And that's probably the thing that helped me to come up with so many memories of different things that happened as close as I could at that time, as, as I could recollect. So I'd already had a hundred-ish pages of type stuff already, and I just gave it to him. And then he said to me, okay, this is great, um, but I want to go back further. So he wanted to go back from when I started as a child growing up, growing up in Buffalo and, you know, so many things with um, O.J. Simpson and Buffalo Bills and football and the gang stuff, everything that grew there. So I was able to go to his house for, you know, two or three days. and We sat down and he just asked questions with his tape and we just, you know, went deeper and deeper into that and, then we then we you know skipped that you know the, the middle part because that was basically taken care of and then we just went into talking about the different stuff at Sky which I kind of remember so many things and some so many things were were so uh, so fresh to me and then he would fact check so many things and some some stuff I hit him with and you know I, that's what I thought but he come back with a fact no that didn't happen that way Kev I mean he was kind of aggressive with me oh hey I'm sorry man I, I thought that's what it was you know so um, so that's basically how it happened I already had stuff in and. You know, we just so happened to go to the beginning and to the end because the middle was already taken care of. So I was just kind of fortunate for me that that's how it kind of worked out. I don't know if that's a formula or not. That just happened to be how that <laughs> happened just to, you know, just to work out for me and, and, and for me to be able to do my own book. And you may as well give the book a plug because we're, we're coming up to the festive season, aren't you? So uh, what's what's the name of your book? It's called The Cato Will Rock. She, I, she wouldn't... When I wanted to, you know, my deal was, the title I wanted was, just because you haven't heard about it doesn't mean I didn't do it. But he said, no, nah, we're not going with that. He came back with, <laughs> he came back with the Cato Will Rock. So you can just go to KevinCato.com and, um, and, you know, it's right there. Just what is the book. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a story of the, um, um, the road less traveled with a lot of motivational stuff and a lot of funny stories. You know, just takes you inside, uh, you know, as as far as I can go inside, as far as the locker room and, you know, some of the things that, that went on at Sky throughout my career, you know, with, uh, with uh, you know, coaching basketball and also having the opportunity to work as a presenter. What advice, Kevin, would you give to people looking to make it into media and specifically sports media? Any sort of little hint, little tips that you can give them? The first thing is I would say, do your research, do your homework, be prepared. And the next thing is, which is, which might be the first thing is, don't be afraid to ask the question. You know, so many people are, you know, so hesitant and so afraid just to go up and ask the question about, can I do this? You know, can I, can I pursue mm. this opportunity? You know, um, and I think for me that, that, that might be area number one in all things out there is to ask the question, you know, pursue it. You know, because people have, how do you become a basketball coach? I asked. You know, I got down and I wrote, got on my typewriter. You know, people like typewriter. Yeah, it was typewriters back then. I got on the typewriter and I wrote as many people as I could. You know, when it's time for me to, you know, get on the Sky Sports. Um, Even though I had, you know, so many things that I had accomplished. The national, not bragging, but just saying what it was. The national team coach, the Olympic coach, 
you know, have, have my teams have been successful. I'm trying to call Sky Sports to get the job to be the man to do, to be an analyst on the, NF, on the NBA. I got to call 35 times before the guy pick up the telephone. So, wow. you know, it's, you know, it's don't be afraid to ask the question and don't be afraid to persist. But, but when your chance comes, make sure you've done the homework and the research because you're only going to get one chance to be able to present your case. So, you know, those would be the things I would say would be would be very important. Kevin, um, are you still involved with basketball? You know, do you still go to watch some of the, the games in London and wherever you may be, uh, just to just to keep your <clears throat> your fingers in the pie, so to speak, and stay connected yeah, well, with what's go, going on? Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've been, I, you know, a couple of times I went down to see uh, Leicester play last year. I went to see Newcastle play. I mean, I'm right here, so I'll go see the uh, the, uh, the London Lions. Um, you know, I'll go see them, you know, play whenever, you know, whatever it would fit. Uh, with me have an opportunity to go, and then right now, I'm uh, I'm doing a bunch of yearly commentating for 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 IMG, doing a bunch of uh, uh, broadcasting for Euroleague basketball, which is fantastic basketball, and I'm really enjoying it. So, um, you know, so I'm keeping my hand in that, and also, you know, whenever Sky decides that they want to use me, then I, you know, then I make myself available to go and uh and deal with that that as well. What do you think of the job that? Um... Rob Paternostro has been doing with the riders over the last, well, it's got to be about eight years now, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rob is one of my favorite guys out there coaching. He does a tremendous job. You know, I mean, and, and the thing is, you know, he's really competitive because he has that, uh, you know, that uh, Napoleon complex of being a little midget type guy. So, he, you know, his teams represent that same kind of, uh, uh, you know, intensity. You know, he's out there, he's going at it. And uh, you know he does he does a really good job. You know I, I'm you know really pleased and happy for the success that uh, you know they have. Plus Leicester still you know my one of my favorite towns. You know and you know he's gone there and and, and that was that, you know when I was coaching that used to be the number one place all the teams look forward to going to because they know at Granby Halls and in Leicester you know the public was going to be there to 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 support their team. And to bring that buzz to it, and now with Leicester having that new facility, you know that crowd is even more so back again. So, um, you know, I think he's landed in a in a in a great spot. Kevin, we'll finish it up with one last football question. What are your thoughts on the British amateur level game? And do you think the likes of OCU Manura, JHI could do more to promote participation in the sport in this country? Um, I think, I mean, they're trying to do as much as you can. you got the OC on this program every, uh, you know, once or twice a week. You know, that show comes on. Yeah, J.J. is in, you know, he's out there with, with the team. So he's doing what he what he can do to, to get out there. And he's, okay, he's out there. He's running for 200 yards a game. He's put himself out there. Now it's a case of the media taking it, and it's their turn to run with it. You know, so they are doing, I think, what they can do. It's a case of people can always do more. You can always find you know, uh, something else that can be done. Um, but I think right now, you know, their hands are full as far as what they're trying to do and trying to get the, uh, the game out there through the mechanisms that they have. Um, but it's also, you know, it's on other folks and their other mechanisms to be able to, uh, you know, to help out with it. But I, I think that, you know, I think that both of them are doing their part as far as what they can do um, as far as part of the wheel of, trying to get the NFL out to the masses as much as they can. Do you ever get the chance to go along and watch any of the grassroots games? 
Um, no, I, 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 a couple of years ago I did, and um, yeah, but I haven't been in the last two years, two three years. This summer I planned on going to see um, the, uh, the, uh, the the games in London with the Olympians, and I just didn't make it this past summer. I something it was planned. I had it down, and then something came up, and I couldn't make it. So. Uh, maybe this this year may be coming up that I'll, you know, but it's going to have to be the weather's going to have to change because I'm truly a yeah. weather person. You know, I'm not <laughs> watching any sport. All right, I did that once. The last time I did that, I must have been about 12 years old. I went to see the Buffalo Bills. My pop gave me a ticket, and I sat down and watching the game. It was so cold that I got frozen to the seat. And so that was the oh. last time I said I'm going to watch any sport in the middle of the winter. All right, so – you know, and, and when, if, it's, if it's summer, nice weather, you know they can count on me this this uh, this uh, this springtime, springtime, summertime coming to check them out. I can I can appreciate those thoughts. My very first NFL game was the 49ers at uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, December twenty first. Okay. It was so cold; it was unreal. <laughs> you, you that guy out there with the, with your shirt off? Your chest. Was I was the shirt. guy out there with my shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so yeah, I, I can uh, I can fully appreciate about going to watch games in the cold. Um, Kevin, thank you so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. Okay. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, I'm sure you guys will agree as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, um, Kevin, for for joining us. And I think um, our, our friends and colleagues who will listen will will really enjoy this recording. Hey, uh, thanks, man. Have a, have a great week and um, great luck to you. Thanks again to Kevin Cadle for taking the time to be on the show this week. Uh, that's it for this episode of the show. Thanks to AudioNautics.com for the music. Thanks to Rob Newell, James Little, Mark Lyon, Kev Nail, Andrew Mitchell, Kavik Drino, Gavin Sutton and Graham Ross for all the work they do on the group and on the show. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Frequency49 and on Facebook, search the Frequency49 show. It is time to say goodbye, boys. Goodbye, boys. Hi, everyone. We'll be back later this week with our uh, preview of the Chicago Bears game. But on behalf of Deepak Gohill and Kev Nalen, I've been Paul McDonald. You've been the audience and this has been the Frequency 49 show. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.